My name is Amy Wilson Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar. If you haven't had a chance to meet me yet, I'm delighted to be with you on this first Sunday in February, believe it or not. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. So you can follow along on the screens above me or in your dusty Bibles or <laughs> on your phones, however you choose to connect with the scripture this morning. Hear now the word of God. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches in Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious And loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At Christmas time, just recently, a couple months ago, Natalie came to me, my seven-year-old, and said, Mom, Augie and I really want to buy Christmas presents for you and Dad. Aww. That was so nice. (laughs) But she followed up with a look of panic. We don't have any money. <laughs> so Natalie, don't worry about that. Your dad and I will talk and we will figure something out. So Jason and I do our best to keep Christmas simple. We enjoy celebration, but we try to guard against excess as well. So up until this year, we haven't set aside specific gifts for the kids to give each other or to give us. But this year was different because this year at six and seven, Augie and Natalie became more concerned with giving than with receiving. Of course, they wanted some funds to be able to do that. But that's another part of the story. And the initial conversation with Natalie became a proud parenting moment for me. Because the truth is, even with the best of intentions, we human beings often look at giving as an obligation. And we calculate the losses to our own budget and our quality of life in doing so, even in the church, even as followers of Jesus. Now, we are not bad people. We have needs. We have responsibilities. And it doesn't help that for generations, our Christian faith has been slowly disconnecting from what the Bible says about giving. So we'll read words like these written by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians and the idea of begging earnestly for the privilege of giving doesn't really compute. 
It doesn't help that the word privilege has become a divisive word in our culture. And that's why we need to be able to look at words in our text for what they mean in context. So we're not tempted to throw out whole passages based on how a word is being used today. Privilege, in its most basic definition, is a special right or advantage afforded to a particular person or group. Privilege is a right or an advantage of a person or a group. And here, in this letter to followers of Jesus in Corinth, a community of faith that Paul founded, Paul is using this word to describe giving. Now, this may not read like a fundraising piece, and that certainly was not its sole purpose, but the concept of giving would not have been foreign to the people in Corinth. <clears throat> not, <clears throat> pardon me. Not only had Paul corresponded with the people at least twice before, his work on a collection for the poor in Jerusalem was well known. He had just come from a meeting with church leaders in Jerusalem where they had offered blessings upon his ministry to people outside of the Jewish faith. Now these church leaders were talking about Peter and John and James, the brother of Jesus. They blessed that ministry, but they also said, don't forget the poor. Don't forget people who are suffering. So that's the generous undertaking that we're reading about here in this letter. And as I said above, raising money was not the full intent of the letter. Paul is writing to believers in Corinth at the time to resolve conflict. In the time that had passed since he left the city to serve other faith communities, a rift developed between Paul and the people at Corinth. So this letter is above all about the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation in a healthy community of followers of Jesus. And in it, we find these words about generosity of funds. Specifically, Paul raises up the church in Macedonia as an example of generous giving. And he, he does so, if you notice, without ever mentioning an amount. Instead, he speaks of the Macedonians' own suffering and poverty and their decision to give beyond their means to support others who suffer, saying they actually begged to take part in this giving. And let me tell you, beloved, I have served several churches and no one has ever begged me to take a gift. It's usually the other way around. And that's one reason that we're so uncomfortable with talking about money. To be honest, I dread this time of year. Can I say that? It's called stewardship season in the church. Many churches celebrate stewardship season in the fall because they're operating on a calendar year. We at Morningstar observe stewardship season at this time of year because we operate on a fiscal calendar. July 1 is the beginning of our fiscal year. So we take part in stewardship season in February. February is upon us, as you know, but we've been talking about stewardship every Sunday in this new year with videos that we have been showing in our worship services. And in these short messages, you've heard from people in this very room talk about how and why and when and where they give. And I'm so grateful that they were willing to make those videos. And I'm grateful for the way they defined what stewardship means because it's become such a churchy word. But stewardship means more 
than our personal patterns of giving to a church. And we're going to talk about that more over the next few weeks. In fact, we're going to talk about how less becomes more. How less becomes more as we cultivate the practice of generosity. So a shared definition of stewardship is a great place to start. Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. To be a good steward is to take care. In terms of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he was reminding them of their opportunity to care for the people who were living in poverty. Certainly, he viewed this opportunity as the responsibility of followers of Jesus, but he did not emphasize the obligation. He emphasized the privilege. And that's the premise of our message today, the privilege of giving, because in this letter, Paul ties that privilege not to a financial means of a person or a community, but to the spirit of generosity. The value of the gift of the Macedonian church people did not lie in the sum of what they offered. We don't even know how much that was. The value of their gift was in the practice of giving the practice of giving to those in need, even when they have needs of their own. So Paul goes on to say that the faithful in Macedonia were giving beyond their means. Now, I've heard of people living beyond their means, but giving beyond our means, doesn't that seem foolish? Maybe that's part of the point. Now, I am not suggesting, nor do I think Paul is suggesting, that we neglect our own needs in our practices of giving. But I am suggesting, as I think Paul is suggesting, that it is important to be honest with ourselves about the differences between what we need and what we want. The Macedonian church people had done that. They understood a basic tenet of generosity that comes from the heart. When we are content with less... We have more to give. When we are content with less, we have more to give. It's reasonable to conclude that the Macedonians' understanding of generosity was sparked by Paul's teachings and then cultivated in their own faithful practice of giving. But this notion did not originate with Paul. Paul got it from Jesus Beloved, we Christians spend a lot of time talking about what Jesus said we should do. We actually spend most of our time talking about what Jesus says other people should not do. But you get the point. In many of those conversations, we're drawing conclusions about things that Jesus never even mentioned. But we do know one thing for a fact. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. I'm not exaggerating. So if you have one of these ancient Bibles that shows the red letters of the words of Jesus, did you have those? They had the words of Jesus in red, anybody? I was given this Bible when I was six years old by my Sunday school teacher, Nancy Robinson Masters. She's still teaching little kids Sunday school and a little church outside of Abilene in northwest Texas. She had a great impact on my life. I still have the Bible. It's not as dusty as it looks. If you looked in a Bible like that with the red letters, you would see that the majority of those red letters spell out Jesus' teaching about money. Here's a summary. Jesus actually said to give anytime someone asks. 
He praised the woman who gave her last coins to help others. He instructed his followers to be content with their means. He advised not to save more than is needed. He warned that money could become an idol, a god to be worshipped with a thirst for more. Watch out, he says in the Gospel of Luke. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard. There's danger here, in other words. Danger in allowing money to become of greater importance in our life than God is. But what guards against such a pattern of behavior? Contentment. A state of happiness or satisfaction. To be content is to be satisfied. Contentment is the difference between living beyond our means and living within them or even living below them. Contentment is the difference between living beyond our means or living within or below them. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and a willingness to grow in that spirit of generosity enables us to grow in contentment to the point that we can give beyond our means. Because when we are content with less, we do have more to give. Now, let me just clarify here that I am not suggesting that those who are poor and suffering, lacking in basic human needs, should simply be content. That's not the message here. It's not possible for everyone to give beyond their means financially. But for many of us, our financial means are greater than we acknowledge. And those means grow exponentially when we are content with less. This was Jesus' message, and it became a message of Paul, a message of truly uncommon generosity. And it isn't just about the needs of others. It's about our needs, too. It's about our need to be a good steward, to be good stewards and caretakers of what God has given us. That's what we were created to be. The origin of this understanding goes all the way back to Genesis When God gave the first human beings the responsibility to care for the whole world and everything in it. God arranged the workings of the world in such a way, beloved, because being a good caretaker is what it means to reflect the image of God in the world. We bear the image of God when we are caring for others because God cares for others. This is who we are destined to be. Because everything we have is a gift, and a gift is meant to be shared. So it turns out the best way to guard against the dangers of money is to simply live with a spirit of generosity, or to live simply. This is another spiritual practice. Simplicity is a state of being uncomplicated or natural. It takes discipline to say no to excess at least in our culture, where the pursuit of more is the driving force of so much that we do. It's that force of more, that mounting pressure to work more hours and make more money and buy more things that Jesus warns against. That's why he talked about money more than he talked about anything else, because he knew that money is the one thing that fiercely competes for our allegiance. Money is the one thing that fiercely competes with God. For our allegiance. Sometimes we're not even aware of the struggle that is waging in our souls regarding whether we are serving God or money. 
because we've allowed the fine line between our needs and our wants to blur, because we've convinced ourselves that we work really hard for our money and that makes it ours to do with what we please, because we've told ourselves that giving is optional, a good thing to do, but a secondary use of the money in our possession. It's at this point, beloved, that we've already lost possession of our money because we've allowed it to possess us. It's a subtle move. It's really tricky. And that's why Jesus talked about it so much, which means we must, as followers of Jesus, talk about it too. And yes, I know it's awkward. I'm the one who has to do most of the talking. It's not my favorite part of the pastoral role because this is not a very popular message. Some of you wish that I wasn't talking about this right now. I'm going to get notes that say pastors shouldn't talk about money on Sunday morning. But I'm willing to do it anyway because if we're not willing to talk about money, beloved, our problem with money is already well out of hand. And that problem would not be with the budget. That problem would be with relationships. When our relationship with money is unhealthy, the problem is always about relationship. Our relationship with God, our relationship within ourselves, our relationship with others. That's exactly why Paul talks about giving in this letter about reconciliation. Generosity is a key component in a healthy community. And the opportunity to practice simplicity and contentment for the sake of contributing to a healthy community absolutely is a privilege. And it can find us begging to share in the fun of giving, like my older two kids. When they were given a meager budget carved out of our family budget for Christmas, they shopped for their parents and for each other, and Natalie and Augie selected modest gifts that reflect that they've been paying attention. They know us. They know what we like and what we need. It really was delightful to see them bursting with joy on Christmas morning, not just because of the toys that they were receiving, but because they were satisfied knowing that they had given good gifts. They were content in knowing that they were willing to receive less so that they could have more to give. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this principle that makes God's economy so different from other economic systems. It's that point at which less becomes more. Here's a spoiler alert. It has much to do, much more to do, with what we are all willing to do together than what any of us can do on our own. And it starts with a willingness to wade into the discomfort, to acknowledge the anxiety, the uneasiness, perhaps even the embarrassment or the anger that we feel when talking about money at church. Beloved, anytime we feel discomfort for any reason, we've been given an invitation to ask ourselves why. Why do we feel uncomfortable? We do this with our bodies all of the time, right? When we feel discomfort, we go to a doctor. We find out what's going wrong. Anytime we feel any kind of discomfort, we are being invited to ask ourselves why. Discomfort hands us an invitation to pay attention, to investigate to discover and uncover what it is that God has to teach us 
So that's our invitation this week, that we would be honest with ourselves about why we're resistant to talking about money, especially at church. And in doing so, we just might find ourselves begging earnestly for the privilege of giving more. Amen? Amen. We have come to the time in our service when we go to God in prayer together as a community. Part of that prayer, that ongoing prayer, are those requests and those joys that we share with each other through email during a given week. So if you're not receiving that email and you would like to, please let us know so that you can take part in that part of our community. We especially want to offer our condolences to the family of Jerry Myers, who passed away over the weekend. That they are grieving and they are celebrating and they are planning their next steps as a family. And so please offer your prayers to God for them. Now take a deep breath with me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, giver of all we have and hold and think we possess, grant us a deep and abiding awareness for all things knowing that they come from you. Our health, our income, our jobs, our talents, our generous impulse, send your Holy Spirit to help us as we swim against the rising tides of materialism, envy, individualism, and greed in our culture. When we are tempted to think of money as a private matter, remind us that Jesus spoke boldly about the dangers of the love of money and the healing power of generosity in community. And further, help us to help each other in this grace of giving, for you are the lover of our souls and call us to nothing less than transformation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.